Building the Good Life with John Hope Bryant is brought to you by Prudential Financial. Delayed gratification is the longest curse word I know because our people want gratification right now. We've been denied for hundreds of years. It's understandable that we want some gratification right now, but let's hold off a little bit longer on gratification, especially as you define it through the things we bling and the things we wear and things that are depreciating in value. And if you're gonna bling, bling your portfolio Bling things that are appreciating in value. Bling your house, your real estate, your land, things that are going up, not putting mounds of money into things that are going down. And if you do buy things that are depreciating, buy some stocks in those businesses. You just dropped the mic. TD Jakes is the chairman of the TD Jakes Foundation, and their primary focus is job creation, job readiness, diversity, and STEAM education. That means science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. He is the CEO of the TDJX Enterprises Corporation, whose cinematic library of films and television inventory exceeds $350 million in box office sales. The global leader and senior statesman has authored over 42 books, many of which have been New York Times bestsellers, topping the list for up to 16 weeks. The beloved pastor of the 30,000-member Potter's House of Dallas has been 45 years of ministry, during which his programs include the highly awarded Texas Offenders Reentry Initiative, with 30,000 returning citizens completing the two-year program. His real estate ventures have focused on mixed-income, multi-use community development. He has served on many boards, including the Dallas Regional Chamber of Commerce, the Dallas Symphony Orchestra, the Hollywood Reporter, and he's the husband of Sarita, Mrs. Sarita Jakes, also a businesswoman. He is the father of five adult children and the grandfather of nine. He's a personal friend and confidant. Please welcome to the inaugural debut of Building the Good Life, my dear friend, T.D. Jakes. Thank you very much, sir. It's uh, indeed a great pleasure. Uh, to be with you today, and thank you for having me uh, to make whatever small contribution I can to your listening audience. We're honored to have you, my man. I, I've talked a little bit about what you've done, but not how you've done it. And I know you agree with me when I suggest that we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience, and that energy is everything. What's the energy it's allowed you to build um, all of these different verticals. And how do you respond when I actually call you an entrepreneur? Are you offended or are you complimented? <laughs> uh, I'm neither offended nor complimented. I think it's an accurate uh, description of, of at least a part of me. I, my wife says I'm complex. So, you know, I'm, of course, certainly I'm called to ministry and that's my passion and my heart is there. But I'm also called to uplifting people. I have a certain entrepreneurial flair about me that is unique to me. And I was more focused on being who I am authentically than being who people expected me to be and to show up dressed in the clothes that they bought for me. Uh, I think it's very important that you be true to your core and true to who you are. My father was an entrepreneur. Uh, his, his father was an entrepreneur. My grandmother uh, 
uh, own their own business. Uh, there's a lot of history all the way back to the Igbo tribe in Africa uh, that points toward entrepreneurship. And yet I have this call on my life. So getting all of that to have some congruency has sometimes been difficult because the media likes to categorize you. Are you the next Billy Graham? Are you the next Jesse Jackson? Are you the next Ken Chenault? You know, I'm really not the next anybody. I'm just me. So authenticity is something that you and I are pretty passionate about. And it sounds to me like you, you're basically saying you bring you to everything you do. I bring all of me, all, all of the things that you listed and things that you didn't know to list. Uh, all of that is sitting here talking to you at the same time because all of that is authentically who I am. That is not to say that I did it by myself. You know, there are over 300 people on staff uh, in our various entities, probably getting closer to four. And uh, I'm a team builder. And I think it's very important that you build teams around your dreams and that they are not the same team, that there is a diversity of teams rather than to try to get one team to fit all the various components and ideas uh, that any innovator has from day to day. Bishop, as I think about the moment where it was a turning point for me, and we're going to get into what you're doing now and where you're going and what's our vision, what's your vision for where we go from here, to quote Dr. King. But at this inflection point, when, and I want you interested in what yours was, when I was in Compton, California, I was nine years old, and my family had gone through a lot. And um, I'd gone through a financial literacy course. It was home economics. It doesn't exist anymore. And I remember asking this volunteer banker who came in my classroom. He was teaching financial literacy. I said, excuse me, sir, what do you do for a living? And how did you get rich legally? (laughs) And he, I was dead serious. And he said, young man, I'm a banker and I finance entrepreneurs. Bishop, I said, I don't know what an entrepreneur is. I have no clue what you just said because no one's ever taught me that word. French word means building something out of nothing from ground up, building value. But whatever it is, if you're financing it and it's legal, I'm going to be one. Boom. The light came on. And within a year, I started my first business, the Neighborhood Candy House. You know the rest of the story. Put the liquor store out of the candy business, and my confidence went through the roof. You're from West Virginia. Uh, same town, I believe, as my, my wife. Um, was there an inflection point for you there in West Virginia? Man, what a journey from West Virginia to Dallas. To be honest with you, there have been several inflection points. I mean, success always leaves clues. And uh, it's almost like following the breadcrumbs in the fable. Little by little, there is an unfolding of who one is. You don't get it all in one glance. But when I was eight years old, riding in the back of my mother's car, after she had spoken for her sorority, she's a Delta, I said, right now, I'm going to hear you speak, and they call me Miss Jake's son. The time will come, you'll come to hear me speak, and they'll call you Tom Jake's mother. Well, I was pretty close to right, only it was TD. Uh, I wasn't known as TD as a child. Uh, But I knew that there was a speaking component to it. And uh, as I got into uh, the speaking part of my life, I ran into so many people who had built businesses around our talent. And I began to ask myself, why should I let you build a business around what I started 
when I could build a business myself. And so moving the middleman out of the way, building several businesses, hiring our own people, creating jobs for families, and uh, having a better control over my brand were all very attractive features in, in the, the embryonic stages of developing what is now uh, T.D. Jakes with all of the many facets that go to it. Whether you're talking about the Texas Offenders Reentry Initiative and the 30,000 uh, formerly incarcerated inmates who've gone through that program, or whether you're talking about T.D. Jakes Rev, uh, where we're looking at around 600 thousand uh, uh, acres of land that we have had an opportunity to uh, 600 acres of land that we have had an opportunity to acquire in various cities and the building out of homes and the building out of buildings and churches and and outreaches and all of those things that that came out of that uh i just bought 10 acres of land across the street from my house and put 40 houses on it i've, I've always had multiple streams of income and always been industrious and not all of that is, in fact, most of that is not under the church at all, but most of it is through my various interests of being authentic to who I am as an individual. And, you, and with all that I'm hearing, you're meeting a payroll, you're paying taxes, you're, you're building uh, revenue streams, you're building wealth, which is different from making money. People don't understand there's a difference between making money and building wealth. You build wealth in your sleep. Uh, but Everything you do, everything that you just mentioned, and the things I mentioned earlier, require a business infrastructure, correct? Yes, it requires quite a, it requires quite a bit. I mean, several of our companies are 501c3s, and several of them are LLPs and for-profit uh, S-corporations and et cetera. Understanding the distinctives between the two is critical. Building firewalls between the two by having different staffs and different accounting systems, different payrolls, doing compliance audits, uh, all of that is a necessary part of, of going after what you uh, dream of. And those organizational constructs that, that, you, that we just started talking about become the whole orbit system that circles around me. The only thing that they all share in common is me. And what I have to do is delegate and relegate my time in such a way that that they continue to orbit without colliding into each other or colliding into me. And uh, in order to accomplish that everywhere there is, I like to say, a planet in my galaxy, whether it is philanthropic or whether it is for profit, there is a leader over that particular planet of which sits around my boardroom table and I'm able to keep my hands on things through reports and documents. I'm not ubiquitous, so I can't be uh, everywhere at the same time simultaneously. For instance, right now we're shooting a film in Canada. Uh, we're shooting a series for Lifetime, uh, a part of an anthology called Seven Deadly Sins. We have been greenlit to finish that anthology. We've done two already. We're shooting two more, and we're going to finish out all seven of the Deadly Sins with Lifetime while we are starting up on a movie out in California while I am pastoring in Dallas, uh, while we just got back from Kenya, uh, looking at rehabilitating uh, a hospital over there in Nairobi. So, you know, there's a lot going on. There's an office in Canada. There's an office 
and a presence in the UK and uh, all of that sits around the orbit of what we have to do. You um, have mentioned a phrase that is similar to a phrase that Dr. King used in the 60s, the fierce urgency of now. I want to to get you to unpack that a little bit, but I want to back up a minute because what you just said, the listeners here, if they closed their eyes and didn't hear who was on and who was introduced and his credentials, that sounded like one of the best CEOs (laughs) and managers and business leaders on the planet. You just laid out a business plan and execution against that business plan. What would you say, Bishop, if I said, we have got to move, and I'm talking now about African-Americans and and those who are parts of groups have been left behind, from just a spirit of being experts in what we are against to experts in what we're for, from moving from just a specialization in civil rights, which we need, which is often fought in the streets, to civil rights or, or business in the business suites to create, hold on, this is pushing the envelope now, social justice through an economic lens. Is that is that going too far? No, I think that's a critical component of social justice. Uh, that's not to say that if we had wealth, we would have racism. Uh, but that is to say that the jails would empty out a lot quicker if they didn't have court-appointed attorneys. Uh, that is to say that uh, owning your own company uh, dismisses the possibility of you being uh, first one, uh, last one hired, first one fired. Uh, that is to say that you're respected because you can do more than protest. You can influence elections. You can give to campaigns. And uh, thank God for the protests. The protests have helped to get us to where we are right now. But protests without change of policy is a news story. It draws attention to it. It gets a lot of tweets. It gets a news story, but it doesn't change policy. And we've got to become more astute at changing policy, which changes practices that opens up opportunities. What we're good at is drawing attention to an issue. And that's important, but we can't stop there. We've got to go the last mile of the way. And the more influence that we have and the more that those who do have influence work together in a concerted way, the better off we are. We have a tendency, however, uh, to shoot whoever has influence rather than learn from them. And so if you if you kill all your teachers, how will you go to school? So, so how does this discussion fold into the fierce urgency of now and the agenda that we need to have right now? Well, it folds into it in several ways. Uh, after... Uh, the vicious murder of George Floyd. Uh, America had a conscious and corporate corporations began to allocate resources uh, to uh, change disparities, not just George Floyd alone, but COVID uncovered uh, disparities that had previously existed, but they became more apparent by the disproportionate amount of deaths that we see uh, amongst people of color. Uh, and uh, there's been an allocation of resources, a new uh, revitalism as it relates to uh, diversity, uh, inclusion, and equity uh, like we have not seen in many, many years. Uh, now, the money has not all been allocated, 
uh, it has been uh, designated, but it hasn't all been allocated. We have to make sure that those promises are followed through on and that they're followed through on not just by throwing money in the street, by throwing money toward institutions that can show uh, ROI or return on their investment in terms of the metrics of change lives, save lives, people getting education, people getting prepared. Uh, I think it, the projection is about by 2030, 80% uh, of the jobs are going to be technical jobs, uh, science, technology, energy, uh, arts and math. Those, those things are taking precedence. And those jobs that have caused us to be affected by COVID, first responder jobs, grocery store, uh, check-in at the airport, those places where we're interacting with people, uh, those jobs are all being replaced by robots. And, uh, and I fear for the families that will find themselves falling beneath the property line that they are just a little bit above. Now they fall beneath uh, because they failed to change with the time. So that's the urgency. That's the urgency. The urgency is that we don't have time to bicker amongst ourselves divide and fight amongst ourselves that we must do all that we can to strengthen ourselves. The urgency is that we must stop waiting at the back porch for somebody to hand us a crumb and begin to lift ourselves up by unifying together, by working together, by by uh, doing business with each other where possible, where by finding repressed communities and solving problems rather than pointing to the problem. We've done a great job at pointing to the problem, but we've not done a great job at solving the problem because we have not believed that we had the power to solve the problem. And in some cases, we didn't have the capital and the resources, not individually, but collectively, we can do that. Amen. And as we pivot now to the topic of a business plan and how to execute on that business plan, um, a couple of things hit me with what you're, you just said. One is that everybody wants to see seem to be an American except Americans. We, we find all kinds of things to argue with each other about and disagree about versus figuring out what we're for. So I, I love this unifying theme of yours. And I really believe if we promote black entrepreneurship, everybody's boat rises because when you create, G, when you create GDP, you're expanding the table, you're adding a chair, everybody wins. Uh, even who, people who may not be supportive of black entrepreneurship benefit because of increased wealth and lower dependency. Um, let's talk about now the, the plan. Quincy Jones. Let me, ju let me just interject a comment. Yeah, please. I sit in a unique spot as a clergyman. I, I really get a good pulse of the community and where our heads are. Right. And over the last 10, 15, 20 years, when people come for prayer more times than not, they have classified as a miracle, a, a, a car, owning a house. Pray for me that God would bless me to own my own home. Pray for me that God would bless me with a car. Uh, pray for me that God would bring me out of debt. That's nice, but those are not miracles. Uh, miracles are parting the Red Sea. Miracles are raising the dead. Uh, miracles are turning water into wine. A car is not a miracle. Uh, a house is not a miracle. Uh, atheists have houses. Uh, people of other religions have houses. People with no religion have houses. But but that's how far re removed we are from it being within our reach that we think we need God to have a car. Right. 
And that's a sad indictment against uh, how faith is taught and how we perceive faith and how far we perceive that we are away from what we are pursuing, that we need divine assistance to pay a gas bill. That's that's a that's a sad indictment. That's how far removed we are away from it. And I think as we solve some of these economic problems, we can get back to praying for real spiritual problems and let God do the things that only God can do. But when you get through praying by the side of your bed, don't expect God to make your bed. You still have to get up and make up the bed. And I think that we are expecting the divine to do that, which is only done through the human. Now the odds are against us. The cash flow is against us. The system has not cooperated. It's hard to get distribution, but technology has opened up a lot of doors where through the internet and through social media, you don't necessarily have to get distribution through a store, which is struggling itself to stay open in order to be able to reach a broader audience of people, not just in your community, like we were taught in the previous generation, keep the dollar in the community, but to to do business all over the world. The inference is global economic wealth. It's understanding that we are a community, whether we're in Alabama or in Africa, whether we are uh, in Jamaica or whether we are in Nigeria, uh, we have the same kinky hair, we have the same ashy skin, we have the same unique needs for certain products that are unique to being people of color. It's unfortunate that people who don't have those needs make those products for us instead of us making those products ourselves. Hi, this is John Hope Bryant, and the Building the Good Life podcast is brought to you by Prudential. For over 145 years, millions of people have counted on Prudential to help solve for life's most important financial needs. Because at Prudential, they live their purpose to make lives better by solving the most pressing financial challenges of our changing world. Prudential will continue to focus on financial literacy, financial education, business development, and opportunities to provide financial products and services to those disproportionately impacted here and around the world. This is Doing Well by Doing Good. And I'm John O'Brien. Quincy Jones said, somebody you and I both know, Bishop, he said, if you think you're in the music business, as an example, and you don't own music rights or publishing rights or licensing rights or some kind of rights, uh, you're actually not in the music business. You're a temporary performer. And so so we've, we've got the hustle. We've got the skill. We may not have the strategy to execute against it, but it's the music business. It's the business of music or the sports business, the business of sports and all the things that you're talking about has to have a, a problem has to have a beginning, a middle and an end. We can't we can't just complain ourselves through is what I'm hearing you're saying. We have to do something about it. So you've done something about it in all these categories. You started with the church, Potter's House, et cetera. And I know some folks who've gone on glory recently helped you build that from West Virginia. That You're still honoring them with that continuing legacy and their continuing work. Maybe we can even mention their name before we're, we're finished so to hold their continuing legacy up. But what you're doing in real estate, let's touch on that because now this is faith becoming real. What you're done, and it's giving also corporations who are making these $50 billion worth of commitments a place to invest or your foundation doing STEM education a place to give. Well, first of all, I'm not much of a screamer. I'm more of a solutionist. Uh, I like to provide solutions rather than scream at the darkness. I would prefer to light a candle. And I started TDJ Rev because there's a housing problem. 
in rural areas as well as in metropolitan cities where most of our workforce can no longer afford to live in the cities they serve. And uh, to have mixed income housing and taking advantage of some of the opportunity zones and putting retail in there, closing up some of the food deserts by putting grocery stores in there is, is something that I'm very passionate about uh, in being able to accomplish. And I think that, that it can be done, but I want to go back and say that one of the reasons that I think it's within my reach is because I grew up in a home with a mother who was buying houses and renting them out and collecting rent off the houses when I was a little boy. And, and a lot of times our people don't think better, not because they're not intelligent, but because they're never in the room where it happens. They don't hear the conversation. Uh, the, the aggregation of wealth remains a mystery uh, because nobody has unveiled it to them in such a way on, an, on a continued basis that they get to see how it works. I have found that it's impossible to be what you do not see. And uh, in all of my doing and going, I'm kind of shocked to get to this age and find out that all I'm really doing is what my parents did on a larger level. My mother dabbled in real estate. Uh, I dabbled in real estate. My father had a family business. I have a family business. My mother was a school teacher. I ended up a preacher. So, so what I'm basically saying is what we are suffering from is that we're living in communities and houses where there is no model. And if there is, if the only model we see is poverty, pimps, and prostitution, then the only hope we have to be is what we see. But if we live in a world where we see people getting up in the morning, going to Goldman Sachs, get, see people uh, uh, on the subway reading uh, the stock market, uh, and we are exposed to that, and they look like us, and they act like us, and they talk to us about the Dow being down this month, or they, different things like that, and we get to ask questions without feeling foolish, and it becomes a part of our natural life, then our world begins to change. We, we have been trapped outside of Wall Street, and, uh, and, and because we have not been on Wall Street or seen Wall Street, we have either demonized it or deified it. And it is neither deified nor demonized. It's just a way in which we have sustainability as American citizens. So it's what we, at worst, is what we don't know that we don't know that's killing us, but we think we know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many people are experts at telling me what I ought to do with my money. And it would appear to me that if you knew how to spend it, you would know how to get it. Uh, you know, but people have a, they, they suppose what they don't know. They don't ask questions, they make statements. They don't inquire, they make accusations. Uh, and, and it's really tragic because uh, those, those accusations could be replaced with the curiosity is good, ask questions. Uh, people love to teach. People love to share. People love to help you. Don't be afraid to ask a question. And the fact that you doesn't don't know doesn't make you an unintelligent, just uninformed. And uninformed can be fixed by the gathering of information. You're very nosy. You're very, and I've seen that in a very loving, beautiful way. Like you're always asking questions. You're always learning. You're you're a lifetime student, and you have no shame 
about what you don't know. You, you, it's not an indictment. People need to hear this. It's not an indictment that you don't know. It's a sign of your intelligence that you want to know. Right. And I think that the day that you know everything is the day that you die. Uh, I, I want to keep something in front of me that I'm curious about. I want to keep something in front of me that's bigger than me. I want to keep something in front of me that I'm a little intimidated of. Uh, It helps my prayer life. Uh, It helps my investigative skills. It makes me cautious. It makes me assemble advisors around me and the multitude of counsel, their safety. Uh, you, You want to challenge it. It invigorates you. It motivates you. It makes you innovative. And I think sometimes we take the easy way out where there is no challenge, where the road is clear, where the footprints are already there, and we start living a life beneath our potential. And and it actually shortens our life because we don't have something to get out of the bed for. Our community is the only community that thinks when you become 60, you're old, or you become 70, that you're old. Other communities are are running the country at 80, uh, looking over Congress, uh, half the room is 70 and 80. We, we, our current president is in his 70s. Our past president was in his 70s. But we tend to give up on life because we don't have the roaring of the lion in front of us that, that would elicit the kind of strength that makes us take the challenge on and forge ahead and fight the good fight of faith. You and I had those building blocks that that put that roaring lion inside of us, a mother who said, I love you, a dad who owned a business, um, so we knew who we we knew we were somebody, knew what we were going to do, and then we figured out how we we're going to do it. Uh, you may know Bishop. I'm, you're smart. You're so smart. You probably already know this. The Freeman's Bank, the 1865, is the reason that our that blacks were never taught financial literacy at scale, because it was created and Lincoln was killed the next month. So we, even though we have this great hunger and this great talent, we were never given the tools of capitalism and free enterprise and economics and opportunity. So now too many of us think it's evil or bad because we because we don't know how to succeed in it. I see your ventures as a practical laboratory for people building and not just profit building. Can you get into the weeds a little bit about what you're doing in Atlanta, what you're doing in Texas, the two projects that I'm aware of, and how that can connect all these dots? What you're literally doing is also a beacon for hope and investment. What I hope to do is leverage my relationships uh, with corporate leaders and my relationship with my community and to take advantage of the opportunity zones and uh, to motivate corporations to invest in communities that have been underserved. And that means mixed, uh, mixed use communities, mixed income communities that are designed in such a way that we have upward mobility and we have employment and we have access to good food and we have access to restaurants in our neighborhoods uh, that are designed to meet our needs and not just uh, unhealthy food, but all, all types of food. And I'm in a position to leverage those relationships in both cities. So we're in the final aspects of closing on uh, 95 acres of land there in Fort Mac. Uh, we're looking at a similar plot of land that we own here in Dallas. Uh, we're looking at various other cities uh, that we're considering uh, doing these same types of deals in. And I think it's very, very important uh, that they can be done. 
And it's really a matter of putting together the right team, the right capital stack, uh, the right uh, equity stacks, uh, limiting the amount of debt that you incur and provide housing that solves problems that the cities are suffering from. We need adequate housing for workforce housing, for people who are not necessarily beneath the poverty line, but they're working every day but can't afford to pay the rents. They keep getting higher and higher and higher, as well as the gas prices. We also have a child care problem. We have a lot of single mothers uh, who are working a job with no place to leave their children which creates a very dangerous situation. I want to see some of these problems resolved uh, in in the fall of my life. I want to be able to be somebody's answer, an answer to somebody's prayer, and to see those needs met. And I want to do it in such a way that you can do it profitably and still do it purposefully. And the purpose is the main drive that causes me to get out of the bed every morning. Yeah, doing well by doing good at scale. Exactly. And I think corporations can imitate that too. There's a great opportunity for CEOs uh, to to hire people who would be grateful to have a job, who are ex-offenders, not because they were terrible people, but because 70% of the people incarcerated are incarcerated for nonviolent crimes. Some of them have been in prison for 20 years because they had court-appointed attorneys. They didn't have the resources. They were talked into plea bargains. They come out of out of prison at 40 or 50. They want to work. Nobody will hire them. Nobody will rent to them. And the reason we were able to find jobs for almost all of the 30,000 formerly incarcerated inmates is that I knocked on the doors of the CEOs. I had lunch with them. I can't tell you how much dry chicken I've eaten uh, <laughs> trying to get them uh, to create entry-level positions for people who are trying to start up. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have black people with master's degrees, brown people with master's doctorate degrees who are finding it difficult to find a job. And I'm hearing the corporations saying, we can't find qualified people of color. And I go in their office and tell them, they're in my choir, they're on my usher board, they're in my pews. Uh, they're they're in the bar, Joe's bar. They they go out on the weekend. They 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 go out to dinner. They're all around you. And so it occurred to me to start the foundation. TD Jake's foundation is really focused on financial literacy, STEM programs, and creating job opportunities as a bridge or a pathway to upward mobility for people that are underserved, whether they are white, black, or brown. Amen on that, man. That's the church of what's happening now and what have you done for me lately. That's also doing well and doing good, literally, like you're making profits with purpose, but you're also giving that back, uh, you and others, through your foundation, uh, in that cycle of life that lifts as you rise. Am I getting that right? Well, the interesting thing about a foundation is I'm not paid at all. Uh, The way our foundation is set up, I cannot be compensated from the foundation. The foundation is totally about purpose. Uh, It's totally, for instance, we just uh, partnered with Frito-Lay and sent all the uh, Dallas Independent School District to see Hamilton. And they spent six weeks working on technology, marketing, advertising, anticipating uh, Hamilton, and then going to see a show where 80% of the students had never seen an off-Broadway show that was on tour. 
They'd never seen that before. And to have that experience of seeing it and understanding that, yes, I can be on the stage, but I can also run the stage. I can make the stage turn. I can make the lights change. I can do the production. I can be the director. I can be the person who does some marketing and to broaden their expectation. Yeah, the light of hope is coming on that the right side of the brain where creativity and love and joy and all that comes comes in through experiences like that. By the way, when I was talking about doing well, I was talking about your for-profit businesses pushing over to your nonprofit businesses, but the same message is still the same. You're not compensated by the foundation, and you're, that's all about giving back. So I'm glad that point came out. As we wrap up, some people may be listening to this and saying, first of all, is, is, this, is, is it only a Bishop T.D. Jakes that can do this? Is it only a John O'Brien that can do this? Or this is, is entrepreneurship something that everybody can do? And as I think about folks who have interesting occupations in some of our neighborhoods, to me, they are actually just sort of off the brooks, not uh, totally legal, not totally uh, trained entrepreneurs. They have incredible skills. But let's speak to that. Let's also speak to, as we wrap up, for those who think this message doesn't relate to everybody in America, because we're talking about black and brown folks and talking about black entrepreneurship, what would you say to them that this is about everybody? Well, you know, the first thing that a carpenter does or a bricklayer does is level the bricks. Because if you don't level the bricks, the whole house is going to be crooked. And this is about leveling the bricks making sure that there is equal opportunity, equal access and equal opportunity, irregardless to the color of the bricks, they still have to be level. And so we have to understand whether you're white, black or brown, millennial or baby boomer, there are certain things that we all have in common, like eating, (laughs) like needing a place to stay uh, and taking care of those basic human needs are critically important. To your second point, We are entrepreneurial by nature. And if we don't do it legally, then we do it illegally. But if you can buy your drugs uh, wholesale and sell them for retail and pay your boys and level your runners and live off the profit, you're you're just a businessman in the negative way. The, The shoe company's doing the same thing. There's Campbell Supers doing the same thing. They're buying products retail. They're selling them wholesale. They're keeping the profit and paying the staff. Let's demystify business so that we can get into hopeful businesses and do things that have integrity. We have to demystify. I go into prison. I went in San Quentin and did a three-day meeting in San Quentin talking to inmates. I work with people coming out of prison. I work with young people who are about to go into prison. And one of the things that we do, and we do this through the church, We do entrepreneurial camps. We do training for people who want to start a business. We challenge people, the importance of ownership. And yes, everybody can do it. It's just that we don't trust each other. If I'm a massage therapist and you're a beautician and somebody else is a barber and we've all got our own place, we're spending too much money. We're paying rent for three places. Let's pay rent for one place divided amongst three people and have different services provided up under that one domain. 
there are ways that we can come together on a small scale with limited amounts of money and put our resources together, reduce our overhead and create our upward mobility. Other minorities come to this country. They move into a two bedroom house. They've got six kids and an auntie and a cousin staying in the house. It's not comfortable. But three years later, they own the complex. So so it has been proven that you can come here with less and end up with more if you're willing to have, and this is a dirty word, but I'm going to have to say it, delayed gratification. (laughs) Delayed gratification is the longest curse word I know because our people want gratification right now. We've been denied for hundreds of years. It's understandable that we want some gratification right now, but let's hold off a little bit longer on gratification, especially as you define it through the things we bling and the things we wear and things that are depreciating in value. And if you're gonna bling, bling your portfolio, bling things that are appreciating in value, bling your house, your real estate, your land, things that are going up, not putting mounds of money into things that are going down. And if you do, buy things that are depreciating, buy some stocks in those businesses. No, look, 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 you, you had me at hello, man. I mean, this, this is the, this is the conversation. And given that you opened the door, I, you know, I respected you as a bishop, not just my friend, you're a bishop, so I didn't want to say this, but now that you said it, let me say this. If you're a drug dealer, it's unethical, it's immoral, it's, it's, it's wrong. But one thing you're not as dumb. You understand import, export, finance, marketing, wholesale, retail, customer service, security, ter- territory, logistics. I mean, these are not, you're talking about dumb people. You're talking people, folks who have an incorrect business plan. No different than NASCAR racing came out of moonshine running in the Appalachian Mountains, and those were poor whites. So we should not demonize, as you say. We should humanize and we should harmonize. And I think that what you've got, done today, Bishop, is you've given people a master class in hope. I mean, you've you've literally operationalized hope and given people a way to take that energy inside of them and turn it from emotion into passionate purpose and go from reacting to just responding. You you hit a pet thing for me. Emotionalism is the antithesis of progress. You see, money is nebulous. It's not emotional. It doesn't cry. It doesn't fall in love. It doesn't get happy. It doesn't get depressed. We are too emotional. We bring too much emotion uh, to our decisions. And we make emotional decisions that have financial consequences. That's right. Uh, If you need therapy, get therapy. Don't go to the mall. That's right. It's cheaper to get therapy than it is to get shopping therapy. Uh, what we really need to do is understand that, that numbers are math. That's right. And it either adds up or it doesn't. You either can pay for it or you can't. You ha- you're either in this tax bracket or that tax bracket. If you pay your taxes, you don't go to jail. If you pay your people, they're going to come to work. Right. Find good people. Keep good people. Learn how to retain them. Don't treat them like slaves or dogs or belittle them. And then this is the problem. Let me get this in. I know we're running out of time. Most entrepreneurs are so busy doing the work that they never have time to think the business. Mm. 
And I encourage you to hire somebody to do the work. If you're opening up a chicken shack, we don't need you to fry chicken. We can hire somebody to fry chicken. We need you to balance the books, watch the cash register, make the payroll, pay the taxes, and invest in marketing. But you're in there with the skillet, and you're sweating, and you're working, and you're wondering why it's not working. It's because you are doing the work, but you're not handling the business. And Bishop, what would you say if I said, I told, I tell my rapper friends who want to be businessmen, and many of them are excellent businessmen, Killer Mike and others. I, I say to them two things. One, don't let the urgent crowd out the important. And two, don't finance, use good debt, not bad debt. Don't, don't, don't finance depreciating assets. Don't finance uh, a jewelry and clothes. Finance mortgages and, and, and if you have to, stock portfolios. But things that appreciate an asset is tied to good debt. And things that depreciate in, ass, in value is, is tied to typically bad debt in our communities that are not financially illiterate. And these small things, you know, can make transformational changes in your life when you get the memo, the memo that you're teaching. When I found out that I was more valuable than what I drive, Woo. when I found out, when I finally got enough self-esteem to realize that, that I didn't need uh, a car to be my adjective to modify my noun, that I don't need it to describe me or define me, that I am me, whether I'm on a bicycle or Bentley. I begin to change the focus of my life. And I say that transparently because I know what it is to grow up poor. I grew up eating government cheese. I grew up drinking powdered milk and powdered eggs and and the gold cans and the black handwriting on it. I grew up not having enough. And when you have not had enough and you finally get where you can afford something, you may have money, but you don't know how to handle money. And over a period of time and maturity, you begin to understand that you're bigger than what you drive or wear. Now, I'll always love fashion. I love nice cars. I love a nice house. I love nice things but I don't need any of those things in order to make me important in the room. I am bigger than the things I have. And once you begin to think of yourself and your talent and your gifts and your brain as being the greatest asset you have on your ledger, it it diminishes your need for immediate gratification because you're not quite as insecure as you you once were in your life. We We could do this forever, but we won't. We're going to leave people wanting more and go get your books and watch your movies and come to the Potter's House and participate in your programs and rent one of your apartments or homes or buy one of your homes or come into one of your businesses. You want to support somebody? Support somebody who's giving back just like this. So so for the future builders out there, Bishop, please leave these strivers with something that they can grab a hold on when... The, the bills are high and the hope is low. If you can't rebuild a community, buy a house. Start small. Buy a plot of ground in the right neighborhood where there, where you've studied the research for the plans that the property values are going to go up. Then take that asset and flip it and begin to work your way up the ladder to the roof. If you can't start your business in a factory, start it in your garage and sell it out the trunk of your car. But keep track of your numbers Because when you do get ready to have exponential growth and you do get ready to go to the bank, 
The only thing that matters is not your passion, not your need, it's your numbers. The metrics of success are not something that we value, but it is something that is incredibly important to your investors, your shareholders, and the bank. It does not, now get this, if you don't get anything else, it does not matter where you start. I grew up in a raggedy house on the side of the hill in the mountains of West Virginia. It does not matter where you start. It only matters where you finish. You just listened to Bishop T.D. Jakes on Building the Good Life. If you had any questions about whether you had hope and whether that hope could be operationalized in your life, if you had any questions about whether you can come from nothing and become something, if you ever believed that you had talent and gifts that could be materialized into something meaningful in your life, this is the masterclass you need to listen to. Go back and replay it again with your friends. Because one thing is sure, all your dreams are manifest destiny if you work at it. I came from Compton, California in South Central LA, and as you just heard, he came from a little town in West Virginia. Well, look at him now. A builder is nothing more than a dreamer with a shovel in his hands. Be a dreamer with a shovel in your hands. This is John Hope Bryant, and this has been Building the Good Life. Building the Good Life with John Hope Bryant is brought to you by Prudential Financial. 